As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everybody, welcome in to another episode of The Athletic Baseball Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards and happy 4th of July weekend. I feel like the weekend is bleeding into Monday for a lot of people getting the day off. Hopefully, if you do have the day off, you're enjoying the podcast by a pool on the beach, somewhere enjoyable. This is Tim McMaster along with Ken Rosenthal getting ready to answer all of your baseball questions on the Monday Mailbag. Ken, how are you doing? Hi, Tim. How are you? I am good, and we have lots of great questions, as always. I know you were actually in D.C. this weekend, Dodgers visiting the Nationals, suddenly the red-hot Dodgers. The Nationals were hot. Now they're without Kyle Schwarber. We'll talk about both these teams, but let's start with the Nationals and kind of where they're at heading towards the All-Star break. With the Nationals right now, it's simply a case of attrition, and they are beat up in a way that even in this season of injuries, few teams have been subjected to this kind of thing. So it starts with Schwarber now, because he, of course, was the National League Player of the Month, hit 16 home runs in June, really helped them get back into contention. He has a significant hamstring strain. He's going to be out more than 10 days. We know that, and it's not good. Their other best offensive player, at least so far this season, has been Trey Turner. He's missed several games recently with a jammed finger, and without him and without Schwarber, you start the season, things disintegrate. And I'm not forgetting Juan Soto, but he just hasn't been the normal Juan Soto this year, or at least what we've seen the last couple of years. So what happened the last few days? You saw some really funky things from the Nationals. Alex Avila making his first career start at second base on Thursday. Umberto Artiega, kind of a journeyman. He's their shortstop on Friday, gets DFA. They trade for Alcides Escobar. He's the shortstop on Saturday. And on and on we go. Escobar had not even been in the major league since 2018, spent all of last year with the Yakult Swallows. This is a team not just banged up with Schwarber and Turner being out, but in their minor leagues, their infielders, a good number of them are hurt. And of course, the major league injured list consists of 12 players, including Strasburg and a number of other key contributors. 
So for the Nationals, the All-Star break cannot come soon enough. And obviously, they need to get there, and there's still a week to go. And then at that point, from their perspective, hopefully they start to heal a little bit. And Schwarber comes back maybe by August 1st, maybe before, I don't know. But unless they're whole or reasonably whole, I don't see them having a chance of A, catching the Mets, or B, contending for a National League wildcard berth, which... Right now, it seems like we're going to see the two teams out of the West as the wildcard teams. So for the Nationals, it's a disappointing turn of events just when they had turned their season around. They finally had gotten things back on track. This all happens. And remember, their season started with a COVID outbreak. They clawed their way back. And now here they are again in this decimated state. And it's no way to be. The Dodgers, on the other hand, are a very good team heading into, and we are, as we record this, it's uh, they just took the lead, Ken. We got live updates here, two to one in the seventh <laughs> inning for the Nationals. Well, if they I do win that updates. game, it would be their, it would be their ninth straight win. Um, they're red hot. They're right on the tail of the Giants right now, um, who have the best record in baseball. Um, there's a lot going on with this Dodgers team, but on the field right now, they seem to have figured it out. They do, and keep in mind. They're still not with Corey Seager, and he will not be back until after the All-Star break. So once he returns, assuming everyone else stays healthy, which is probably a faulty assumption, their offense will be whole. They can move Lux to second base, move him down in the order, and they should be really well positioned to go forward. Now, it's so interesting to me, this sport, and how things happen. Tim, you remember, we could go Thursday, they get no hit by the Cubs, that combined no-hitter, and Entering Sunday, they hadn't lost since. Yep. So it's a team that, for whatever reason, found itself after that no-hitter. Dave Roberts mentioned that perhaps they were embarrassed by it, and it's certainly possible that's the case. They are the best offensive team in the league by runs per game, average scoring, and they're first in slugging. I'm sorry, first in on base and fourth in slugging. This is all going into Sunday. So they're a really good offense, but they have not been a very – productive offense at times at times they've struggled they've been inconsistent so now to see them kind of round into form with better at bats which is a key thing for them and a big difference from where they were earlier they're starting now to have team at bats well okay if that's the case they're going to be probably the team to beat in the entire league not just the nl west now the other issue is their starting rotation and we might as well talk about trevor bauer right here and just the situation I'm not going to sit here and talk about the details of this case when, of course, it is still pending. But we know what we know. And we know that he has been placed on a seven-day paid administrative leave by Major League Baseball because of the allegations of domestic violence against him by a woman that he had two encounters with. So, first, Bauer. At the end of this leave, which is Friday, baseball will... I would guess, seek to get an extension of that leave. And to get that, they will need the consent of the players' union. I don't know where this goes. I don't know if the union will consent or not, but it certainly would seem under the circumstances with a concurrent investigation being conducted by the Pasadena Police Department, this thing is going to take a little time. So where does that leave the Dodgers with their rotation? And that's the big question competitively for this team, and that's where I'm going with this. So... If you go back to the signing of Bauer, what did we think at that time? Oh, my goodness, an embarrassment of riches. The Dodgers with Dustin May and Gonsolin, they're not even going to be in the rotation. What an amazing group of pitchers they have. And sure enough, 
here we are. And they suddenly face a possible shortage, quite frankly. Now, David Price said on Saturday to reporters that he is willing to start if the Dodgers ask. But David Price has been a valuable piece in their bullpen, and to get him stretched out would be something that is not impossible, but it's at least a little tricky. So that is one option they can go. But even before what happened with Bauer, even before we knew of this situation, even before he was placed on the paid administrative leave, they considered their starting pitching depth to be somewhat of a question because Tony Gonsolin was just getting stretched out. Now he should be fine. Dustin May, of course, out for the season. Price and Jimmy Nelson in the bullpen, they would need to be stretched out. And their top prospect, Josiah Gray, is a guy who was out two months with a shoulder problem, and you really can't count on him to be a savior. So they were going to look for depth. Now, I wonder if they now look for something a little bit better, a quality starter that could start a postseason game. I don't know that that guy is out there. It's a very thin market for starting pitching. Of course, that could change in the coming weeks. Probably the best pitcher available right now is Jose Barrios, and he's only going to be available at a high price. So the Dodgers over the next few weeks are going to have to judge where they are with Bauer and judge ultimately what they want to do with their rotation. Yeah, certainly a difficult situation uh, with Bauer and with everything. And I know, you know, we've been on top of that story at The Athletic, and we will continue to be as we go forward with this. But for this podcast, let's move on to the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved with the mailbag next week, you can get your voice on the show or you can just email us. If you want to use the voicemail, though, we love it. It's 646-543-7072. The email is tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Lots of good questions again this week. We'll start on the email. And, Ken, we're going to get the sticky stuff questions out of the way early this week on the podcast. This first one from Michael via the email. One of the solutions that was mentioned on last week's podcast was a tax tackier baseball. I would have two fears with a tackier ball. First, would the pitchers still continue to use some of the sticky stuff, or would there be a total ban on substances, including rosin? And second, would the tackier ball help even the competitive balance between pitcher and the batter, or would it cement the dominance of the pitcher that we have seen the past few years? Very good questions. And the first, you're asking, would pitchers still cheat? I believe we've seen in Major League Baseball over the last 20 to 25 years that players are going to try to get every edge they can. They'll go right up to the line of breaking the rules, and sometimes they will cross that line. So even with attack your ball, I would expect that there would be pitchers trying to get an edge. But if you have that ball in place, if you have the attack your ball, then there should be no need for even rosin, no need for substances at all. At that point, it becomes quite clear. You use a substance, you're suspended. That's it. From that perspective, attack your ball would definitely be welcome in Major League Baseball. I don't know how close we are to it. They experimented with it in past years, in 19. Pitchers didn't like it. So there's probably a good amount of time before we're going to see it in a big league game. It just is going to take time. They have to test these things and just make sure everything is okay. Now, As for the other question, would it imbalance the 
pitcher hitter relationship? I don't believe so. If you have read about this issue in recent weeks, you know hitters want pitchers to be able to control the baseball. They don't want them playing naked, so to speak, without anything on the ball because in that case, the ball goes all over the place. And Max Scherzer spoken about this. Hey, they don't want this. And that's true. The hitters do not want a situation where pitchers are basically unable to know where that ball is going. Now, with attack your ball, presumably they would know that, but they would not have a competitive advantage because the competitive advantage comes not from combinations of rosin and sunscreen like we've seen in the past. The Eno Saris has wrote, written about this. It comes from the advanced substances, the spider tack, all these kinds of things that really give pitchers an edge. That is the problem. The problem didn't exist before when it was simply rosin and sunscreen and things like that. You never heard about this issue. And you never saw the imbalance that we've seen in recent years. It is only with the introduction of these substances that this became a problem for Major League Baseball and hitters started to object. So, no, I don't believe hitters would object to attack your ball. In fact, I think they would welcome it. And you mentioned that pitchers did not like the tack your ball when tested before, but that was when they were really allowed to use all this different stuff. I wonder if they would have a different opinion now that everything has been taken away from them. Actually, that's a really good point. And I can't recall exactly what the objections were to that ball, but if this is the solution, and I think we all could agree, that is ultimately what the solution should be, barring, well, at least intermediate solution of a, a universal substance. That would be fine for now. But in the end, you can't have everything. And if it's not quite the same or quite where you want it, well, okay, but this is where we're going to need to be, then you adopt it. Definitely. All right. On to another email. One more on the sticky stuff. This one from Chris. He says, I was curious about, will the miners also enforce sticky stuff or is that something different? I know there are so many players and teams at the minor league levels. I was curious as to the contribution to the injuries this season could be the players couldn't condition like they could have due to the limitations of the pandemic and access to facilities. Chris, first question Yes, the minor leagues are under the same orders as the major leagues. In fact, I went back and checked the memo and the memo that baseball issued saying that it was going to enforce the rule that it had not been enforcing in the recent past. And that memo was addressed to all club officials, all major league players and all minor league players. It also included a section which it said it is instructing league major league and minor league umpires to enforce the rules so yes this is going on throughout the game this is one advantage of major league baseball controlling the minors now they can be uniform in these kinds of things and i know there are many disadvantages that's not the question but with the minor leagues what i was hearing before this was all taking place was that it was even worse there than it was in the major leagues hard yeah. to believe but apparently guys in desperate situations, trying to get promoted, trying to get to the big leagues. We're doing all kinds of things to the ball. But now, presumably, that has been curtailed just as it has been in the majors. The second question, the injury question, that too is a good one. I, it was more of a factor last year going into 2020 when guys took all kinds of different approaches to training based on what was available to them, right? That was during the part of the pandemic you couldn't really go out guys didn't all have home gyms they couldn't go to gyms that affected players there's no doubt about it 
it was a little bit easier this offseason, this past offseason, because one, it was an entire offseason and it was a normal offseason in terms of timing. Spring training started on time. But there were still issues of these kinds. And certain players, I am sure, had a hard time working out maybe as they normally would. I don't know that it was as pronounced as it was going into 20, but I know in speaking, for instance, to Marcus Semien, who I wrote a long story about recently, he said that he asked the A's, even though he was a free agent, if he could still use the Oakland Coliseum to work out because that's where he got the best out of himself. They had the best facilities for him and the most different kinds of things that he needed as opposed to, say, his home gym. Now, they let him do that, but the fact is he wasn't comfortable with the adjusted arrangements he had made. So that's just one player who ultimately it turned out to be fine for. I'm sure there were players who maybe couldn't do exactly what they would normally do. Is that a contributing factor to the injuries? I believe it might be. I'm not quite sure what is going on here and why there have been so many injuries. When we talked going into the season about, okay, we're ramping up to 162, coming off of 60, there are going to be issues. Thinking about that, you would think that the injuries would come later, right? Once the players started getting fatigued because they weren't used to a 162 off a of 60, all of that. And yet the injuries have been prominent from day one this season. And I'm not quite sure why. No one is. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, one team that is struggling with not just injuries, but just generally the bullpen is the Phillies. And we get a lot of questions. Big topic this weekend. So I'm going to combine these. One was email. One was voicemail. The email from Jerry Gallagher. Phillies fan here. What do you think they should do about this bullpen? They're on pace to break records for blown saves this year. Is this an anomaly they can work through? Should they look to their farm system? And then Alex adds this. Hi, Ken. This is Alex calling from New Orleans. My question is about the Philadelphia Phillies and their, again, historic bullpen. How much fault goes to Girardi's inexperience in the National League? Last year with the DH, he avoided making, having to make the adjustment, and this year he keeps taking the wrong arm out of the pen. What is your take on how Girardi has managed the pitching staff and his lack of experience in the National League? All right, Alex, let's start with that question. There is no better way to make a manager look bad than to give him a bad bullpen. Now, I'm not exonerating Girardi for everything. I don't follow it every day, and I have not scrutinized every move. I'm sure he's made some good ones. I'm sure he's made some bad ones. But when you have bad choices, you're going to make bad decisions. I've seen this time and time again in 30-plus years covering the game. You've got a bad bullpen. You're going to look really dumb. That's 
at least part of what has happened to Girardi. Now, to Jerry's point, what do you do? <laughs> and it's funny that both Jerry and Alex use the same words, historically bad. <laughs> yeah. It was historically bad last year, and we all know that if the Phillies had had a better bullpen, they would have made the expanded playoff field. It's pretty obvious. They almost made it anyway. This year, at the start of the season, I remember writing about this, talking about it on Fox, it seemed that they had addressed the problem somewhat. With the additions of Jose Alvarado and Sam Coonrod, they had added velocity, swing and miss stuff that they hadn't had to the same extent last year. They hadn't had enough of it, frankly. And Neris was not an elite closer, but a guy that certainly could do that job. Well, naturally, it's fallen apart, and it's fallen apart in grotesque fashion. I asked Matt Gelb, our Phillies beat writer, all right, what do they do about it? And that essentially, well, the ideal thing would be to get an eighth inning guy and an eighth inning guy and trade for them. I don't know that the Phillies can justify that with the way they've been playing. They're still under 500, and it's not one or two pieces, I think, that will entirely solidify it. They actually tried that last year with the Hembry Workman trade. It didn't work. So they're also a team with a thin farm system. I don't know how much they can be a buyer. Ranger Suarez is a guy who Saturday night closed for them and looked really good doing it. Now, he's not a high velo, big stuff guy, but he throws strikes. He's not afraid. Maybe that's where you start, and then you slide back Alvarado. Coonrod, once he gets back healthy, assuming he does. Archie Bradley, they're not in those high-pressure roles, and you Victor Neris into the mix as well. I don't know if that's going to work either. Maybe Neris ultimately needs to be the closer again, even though, of course, he's had some problems. We know that. It's just a situation where it can't be easily fixed at one trade deadline, in my opinion. And it probably is going to take an offseason of work. They don't have much in their farm system to pull from with regard to the bullpen. So right now, I'm sorry, Jerry. I'm sorry, Alex. It's just a big mess. Enjoy the first five innings of those Philly games, guys. It gets gets ugly. Some of them are pretty good. Sometimes seven innings with Zach Wheeler. Yeah. All right, next question also email. This one's from Adam. Vladdy, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., has obviously spent a lot of the season in the mix for the Triple Crown, but otherwise the feat seems nearly unachievable in today's game, especially as stats like batting average and RBIs are devalued. Do you see any new statistical, and he puts it in quotes, clubs forming with some of the advanced stats that have become more prominent, such as a new Triple Crown with home run OPS runs created or something like that? I like the idea yeah. because, yes, the Triple Crown, as we know it, two of the three statistics have been devalued. And we know now that they are not necessarily the most revealing offensive statistics. And you mentioned them, batting average and RBIs. We have heard in recent years the rate stats get more play. And batting average actually is a rate stat. So you could have a Triple Crown of batting average, on-base percentage, and slugging percentage. That is the triple slash line that we often refer to. And that's one way of looking at it. But in response to your question, I started thinking, okay, what might be a good way to do this? Here's my nomination for the new triple crown. Home runs, on-base percentage, and strikeout percentage. Lowest strikeout percentage, home runs, on-base percentage. It's going to be really hard to do. Because generally speaking, if you're a power guy, you're going to strike out. But 
one of the things we've seen, unfortunately, become more prominent are strikeouts. And maybe there's a better context that I don't know, but that to me measures a hitter as well as it can be measured. And maybe you wouldn't have to be the champion in all three categories. Maybe just the guy who does it best in a combined aggregate manner. It's more complicated than a basic triple crown, therefore not as clean, not as appealing. But those are the three statistics right now that kind of appeal to me when I look at a hitter. And guys like Juan Soto are going to fare very well in that statistic. Others will not. But because of the evidence of strikeouts, that would be something I'd like to see addressed in any kind of future analysis. I think that when you put together a club, as he put it like this, I think you want to think about who would qualify and make sense. And you said Juan Soto. To me, if you're going to talk about a guy that could win a triple crown and it's different stats, that's the guy, though, right? The way he plays, what he can do is what you want the new triple crown to be, um, in my opinion. All right. Next question is back to voicemail. Hey, Ken. This is Jimmy calling from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, Sort of a random question, but it it just came to mind watching Wander Franco's debut. It seems to me that looking around the league as you take inventory of all the big rising young superstars, like so many of them seem to be coming from the Dominican Republic. I think it's like really fascinating and seems kind of unprecedented. So can you remember like a time or an era um, in recent memory where there has been one nation that has just cornered the market on superstar talent like the DR is doing right now? And the second part of that is, is there like a structural reason that the DR has so much talent? Like, is there some sort of system internally that that they have to cultivate so much talent? Or is it just kind of like a coincidence? Jimmy, good questions. And I'm going to be careful here because I don't want to stereotype or generalize or anything like that. First of all, is there something structural in the DR? No, there's not. If anything, those kids face a tougher road. We here have youth baseball, all the programs that kids can pursue if they have money, which is a problem. And the structure is very clear, and then they can go to college if they choose, or they enter the draft. In the DR, the same system is not in place. Now, you have the Buscones, who are the scout-slash-coaches that work with these kids from a young age. And, of course, they're not part of the draft, Dominican players. So they are signed by their teams after – or after being part of the international class. They're essentially free agents. And now there's a cap system in place on those players. Why are we seeing this sudden trend? I'm not sure it is a trend, for one thing. There's always been a healthy percentage of Dominican players, at least going back, I don't know, 30 years, 40 years, I'm not so sure. But we have a little bit of an unusual circumstance here. Two of these guys, Guerrero and Tatis, had fathers who played in the major leagues. So kind of have that advantage from genetics coming into it. Now, Juan Soto, he's not the son of a major leaguer, but other players, let's face it, these kids grow up loving baseball. They are hungry to play baseball. There's that old saying, you can't walk your way off the island, right? Remember what that was about. Guys trying to hit so they would get signed and get attention from major league clubs. Walking wasn't going to do it for them. So, Part of it is hunger, I think. Part of it is the passion for the game in the DR. And part of it might simply be also that right now they're in a great cycle. But certainly in that country, the love of baseball and the desire to play baseball, I would say is greater than it is in ours, 
certainly we have a lot of people who love baseball and are passionate about it, but I don't know that it's as national a passion as it is in the Dominican Republic. Yeah, that's a great point. You get the very best athletes in the Dominican Republic playing baseball here. It's football, basketball, baseball, all spread around. Um, granted, we have a lot more people here, but nonetheless. All right, next back to email, Ken. And this one's from Dan Zerby, who admits to being a diehard Cleveland fan. He says, dating back to last offseason, I have heard countless narratives about Cleveland not trying to contend, etc. It would seem to me, however, that that line of thinking is selling the front office short. I'm of the opinion that while there may not always have the teams and the means that they would like to have to build the team, their front office is far and away one of the game's best at working with what they are given. I further contest that people should not be surprised by their current record because we should not be surprised their front office has managed to piece things together. I'm curious to know if you share that opinion and if that's a popular opinion in the sport that fans don't see. I do share that opinion, Dan, and most people in the sport do see it the same way. The Cleveland front office is very much respected for what it is able to do year after year with a low payroll and low revenues. It's very similar to Oakland and Tampa Bay in that regard. And the one thing that they have done extremely well in the last 10 years or so is draft and develop pitching. And you look at the team that they have right now, the reason they're struggling two and eight in the last 10 going into Sunday, five straight losses is because they're without Bieber, without Savali and without police They're built on that rotation. And even when that rotation was healthy, those three guys were healthy. I was thinking to myself, how are these guys going to contend? They can't hit and they don't have much of an offense. And Framo Reyes just came back. So did Roberto Perez was more of a defender than an offensive player. But, with that rotation and with the two guys at the end of the bullpen, Karinchak and Classe, they had a chance, along with Brian Shaw. I shouldn't forget him. So when healthy, yeah, they're well put together, well constructed. It's just that they have not been healthy and their offense is short. Eddie Rosario has not given them what they thought he would. When Ramirez is out of the lineup, as he was for a few days this week, it really looks bleak from an offensive standpoint. But if you're asking if the Indians approached and front office is well-respected. The answer to that is absolutely yes. And the proof is the result. The results in recent years have been really good. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. They certainly have been. All right, one more question. This one back to voicemail. Hey, Ken, this is Reggie from Austin, Texas. I've actually got a question concerning baseball. I know a lot of teams have recently started uh, allowing 
capacity into a lot of the ballparks. And I've noted in uh, several of those cases that the numbers are still well short of sellouts in a lot of instances. Are there concerns that you're hearing from the league about lagging attendance even in places where they were more aggressive about opening up and where they were maybe in the views of some not taking the vaccine as seriously because I know the Rays just had their first crowd of more than 12,000 during the recent series of the Angels. The Marlins haven't had 10,000 yet this year. And even the Dodgers for the Cubs series were only averaging about 45, 46,000 for the Saturday-Sunday games. Reggie, I have not asked anyone this question yet, but there will come a time where I will ask that question. And I believe that if I asked it now, so soon after the reopenings, what I would hear is, too soon to judge. Still a lot of people are concerned about going out. It's not really a fair time to assess. And I would tend to agree with that. But there is an undercurrent that I hear from some people in the game, mostly older guys, guys in front offices, scouts, those types, who believe that the quality of play or the poor quality of play the style of play is turning off fans and it is harming attendance. And these guys point to the crowds that you're speaking of as evidence of that. If we ever get back to where everything's normal and we're really able to judge, which I would expect to be in 2022, as long as we play that season in full without a work stoppage, then we'll get maybe a better gauge. I do think, there are people who are turned off and who don't want to go to the park to watch the, the sport in its current form. What percentage of people that is, I don't know. I also believe that the lingering effects of the pandemic are currently creating a bigger issue for people. People just aren't accustomed to going. They're going back slowly. It's just not going to come all right away. So to answer your question, I'll be monitoring this and I'll be looking for trends the ones that you mentioned, and at some point I will ask the question if I think that it looks like a concern. Great questions again all around this week. If you want to get involved with next week's show, you can call us or email us the phone number 646-543-7072. The email show at gmail.com. One more weekend of baseball week and weekend of baseball until the All-Star break in Colorado. Ken, where are you headed next week to wrap up the first half? Houston. For the Yankees at Houston, rematch of the 2019 ALCS. And then I'm going right to Denver uh, for the All-Star Game, which I am really excited about, actually more excited about than usual. And it's because of the people that we talked about earlier in the call, the players. Guerrero Jr., first All-Star Game. Tatis Jr., the same. Otani, how will he be used? I wrote about this a little bit this week. It's going to be a fascinating game. Where usually it's just, ah, whatever. But seeing these guys. And seeing them and their flair for the game and their love for the game, Acuna is another one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Feels like kind of a changing of the guard type year at the All-Star yes, Game. It's, absolutely. It's going to be awesome. And anytime you have a home run derby in Colorado, 
It's must-see TV as well. All right, come back all week long on the Athletic Baseball Show. Tomorrow on Starkville, Ken will be back, part of a roundtable along with Eno Saris, Jason, and Doug. They're going to talk about everything that happened in the first half um, and look ahead to the second half a little bit as well. On Thursday, Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby, they're going to be joined by Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil of the Mets together, those good friends and teammates. That should be a lot of fun. And then, of course, on Friday, Derek Van Riper and Keith Law, they're going to get you ready for the Futures game and the draft coming up at the All-Star break as well. So a lot going on on the feed this week. Check it out and you can join The Athletic for $3.99 a month if you go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. Ken, thanks for joining us again and safe travels next week everywhere you're going. Houston, Colorado, all around. Tim, thanks very much. All right, for Ken Resenthal, I'm Tim McMaster. Have a great week, everyone.